Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and forgotten taxpayers. You are forgotten no longer now that you have entered the zone of the Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for our daily town hall meeting, our town hall meeting of what matters to us on the issues troubling the whole of the people. What is it we can do? What is it we can't do? What is it we're not doing? This is your one-stop shop of independent conservative talk. I'm certainly honored to help guide this movement, but I need your help. And that's why I need you guys to subscribe to iTunes. Give us a five-star thumbs up there. Uh, Give us a review so we could spread the show far and wide on the rigged algorithms of social media. And uh, speaking of social media, we really want to start some sort of a coalition of forgotten Americans. Coalition for this audience, which is full of very smart, accomplished people that just genuinely care about our future. Um, Nothing more, nothing less to network, to meet together. Um, What is it we can do to achieve the art of the possible? The art of what can be accomplished. Both to have fixed principles that don't move away and don't shift inexorably to the left with that uh, ever-moving Overton window, but also in the here and now. What is it we can do now that, you know, for the time being, for the next likely five years or so, Trump is the end all in center-right politics? So what is it we can do to influence this man to make the right plays? to implement the right policies, choose the right personnel, make the right endorsements. Folks, I'm telling you, the the line between Trump doing the right thing, what usually his instincts tell him to do, and between him joining with the swamp is a very fine line. And if you just leave it to Trump and say, oh, Papa will take care of us, well, the reality is there's nobody in his voice that's going to yell at him the other way. He's only going to get the flack from the swamp. So the reality is he's only going to move in one direction. But the good news is it doesn't take much to make a difference. That's what I've noticed. A few people networking online, honing in on very smart, specific policies really stick. Because I'll tell you guys, I mean, I get people contacting me from the White House uh, for all the stuff I've said about Jared and Ivanka and really hit this administration hard when I feel that they're moving away from Trump's own campaign messages, you'd be surprised at how many people want to contact me. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because I want you to know that we are at arm's length to accomplishing things. That there are good people in this administration that do share our worldview, but at present, they are usually outgunned and outmanned. We need to empower those voices. So if any of you feel you're good with social media, with Facebook, with tech. Um, If you want to join our group here trying to put together this uh, umbrella organization we want to create of activists, again, you'd be surprised at how much a small group of people can do relative to three, 400 people working at the Heritage Foundation, spending hundreds of millions of dollars on God knows what they do. 
But that's our goal to really influence people and to really make a difference, whether it's on a federal level, a state level. So you could email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com, tweet me at rmconservative. Uh, if you want to join this group, if you feel you have what to contribute, um, I don't want to waste the time of the others working on this, but if you feel you have what to contribute, let's go and do this. Because I really feel that we are living through a period of time where the realm of possibilities in terms of outcome are very divergent. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of pitfalls. And I know sometimes, you know, I sound maybe a little bit down, but part of why I'm down so, so much is because I have that sense of optimism. I don't think we are co-signed to the future that's awaiting us if we don't get active. I think there's a lot we can do. And that's the thing. It's Super Tuesday today. Will we have a Super Tuesday? No, I don't mean Biden versus Sanders. I don't give a darn about that. There's a lot of Republican primaries for Congress. And depending on how they turn out today, it can make a world of a difference whether we have 10 more good members or 10 more bad members. You obviously have Jeff Sessions versus Tuberville in Alabama. It's really a two-man race, the way I see it. Um, you cannot get a bolder contrast than that. So we'll be watching all of those for tomorrow very carefully. Part of what we need here harkens back to Reagan's speech 45 years ago, ironically, at CPAC. Ironically, at CPAC. Is it a third party we need, or is it a new and revitalized second party raising a banner of no pale pastels, but bold colors? which make it un unmistakably clear where we stand on all of the issues troubling the people. And that's really our goal. It should be abundantly clear on all the issues troubling the people, whether it's culture, whether it's national security, whether it's crime, whether it's immigration, whether it's spending, whether it's energy, whether it's regulations, whether it's values. It should be unmistakable that the other side wants this, here's what's wrong with it, here's what we would do. Where is that movement? Well, it, it doesn't exist because we have a movement of grifters, which is why we need to create this new movement. Now, as I noted, it's ironic that that speech was given at CPAC. CPAC is a place where, as I noted, there was no room for any discussion of decreasing record, record high legal immigration. They, they use the term undocumented immigrant on their survey. But what I wanted to know, this from the Washington Times, I wanted to, to just follow up on that issue, the straw poll that they had of attendees to CPAC. And most people said we need to get spending on, under control. 68% said border security is the priority. Only 11% said in expanding legal immigration is. Just 3% chose legalizing dreamers. So again, you see that most of the active, activist base that is drinking out of the sewer 
uh, Fox News, of the phony conservative networks and conservative media and CPAC, they agree with us. There's just no leadership. We need to create those bold colors. Big time. We need those bold colors. Speaking of bold colors. So you have GOP control of the Senate. You would think in the lead up to an election, they would focus on accentuating the radicalism of the left. And at least if you're not going to enact new policies, because you'll say the Democrats control the House, but give the American people a flavor, a sense of what what it is waiting for them on the other side of a potential GOP election, assuming it's Bernie Sanders, a big election, a big win. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but I'm saying it's certainly within the realm of likely outcomes. What is it they could expect? And you would think you would have endless bills on cutting spending, cutting waste in government, returning power to the people. Furthering our great American energy miracle in oil and natural gas and talking about that and, and, and getting rid of all the impediments from the courts and everything. Ju- bills on judicial supremacism showing the absurdity, as we talked about yesterday, of courts nullifying American sovereignty and security and blocking the deportation of, of criminal aliens indefinitely and spawning the invasion of caravans. You would think you would have immediate emergency legislation on sanctuaries. We've written so much on that. All the ways that we have millions of other countries' criminals that are being harbored by sanctuaries where we have just a few thousand deportation officers for millions of these people. The needless murder and mayhem that is created every day from the appalling level of crime, murder, rape, drug trafficking, drunk driving from illegal aliens, the recidivism on an issue that is emphatically within the province of of federal powers, one of the core issues for the federal government to deal with. But no, they had this alacrity to pass this anti-lynching bill, which A, lynching the last time I checked really has not occurred in many, many years. And it's, it's very hard to justify federalizing. It's a state issue. It's not a cross-state problem like drugs or gangs. I mean, I know some people disagree over that, but to the extent you could justify federalizing certain crimes, at least those things are national, international. But when you're talking about just a random lynching, I mean, it's isolated. It's a state issue. But what is it they're focusing on? So after months of impeachment and just focusing maybe on judicial noms, the Senate is focusing on legislation this week. What's the bill? They just voted on cloture to start debate on what the Washington Examiner, Abby Smith, calls the biggest update to energy law in a, in, in a decade, heads to Senate with bipartisan support. Senators, including key Democrats such as Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, voted overwhelmingly on Monday to start debating what could be the most comprehensive update to U.S. energy law in more than a decade. Schumer, in remarks before the vote, said he would vote yes as a show of good faith after talks with the bill's sponsors, Senate Energy Committee Chairwoman Lisa Murkowski and West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell about a fair amendment process. Senators voted 84 to 3 to start consideration of the energy bill introduced on February 27th by Murkowski and Manchin, 
S2657. This is the bill number, 2657. The American Energy Innovation Act contains pieces of more than 50 bills that have already cleared the Senate Energy Committee. The bill includes provisions to boost technologies such as advanced nuclear energy, storage, and carbon capture through dedicated funding and demonstration programs. It also would boost investments in energy efficiency, geothermal power, and emissions-cutting technologies to the industry sector. Never, nonetheless, Democrats want to get their Republican colleagues to go further. They'll be offering amendments that would back that would tack on extensions of tax credits for wind and solar energy and electric cars, the energy package. So notice how when you go with the pale pastels, it's never enough for the Democrats. But notice, I mean, this is like, what? Party like it's 2009? We're back to Solyndra? We're back to boosting green energy? Investments? I mean, what is this? Now, Again, it doesn't sound like the draconian, you know, carbon tax and cutting and banning. But again, when you start the first step to socially engineering and boxing out the free market and picking winners and losers and foisting crappy technology on us that can't succeed on its own volition is when you have the government venture socialism funding these things, investments. Carbon capture, what is that? The machines that suck out carbon and directed elsewhere. I mean, is, is that really what we want? And again, when you start with this, it will morph into mandates. I mean, you look at the tens of hundreds of billions we've thrown at solar and wind. Finally, after years, it's like producing a slight amount. But I mean, that's after everything we've thrown at it. Why is there no energy innovation on oil and gas? I'm not asking for commensurate handouts. I'm just saying, let it, go on its own volition because there you have government impediments. People don't realize Trump bragged about the uh, XL uh, Keystone pipeline, other pipelines. Every single one has been enjoined by the courts. The courts are blocking everything on, on ending Obama's regulations on issuing permits. They're tr the courts are trying to end America's great energy miracle. That's what Congress needs to do. Rather than giving handouts to some in industries, Get the courts out of it. Get rid of the impediments and let everyone work on it. I'm, I'm not against geothermal and this stuff. If you can make it work, make it work. But if you can't and you need government subsidies to do that, no good will come out of that. We know exactly how that roadshow ends. I mean, again, this is what I talk about with the transgender legislation. It's, it's like a, a botched sex change operation. Well, is that a man, a woman? What am I looking at? Is this Republican, Democrat, solar investments? So what emissions cutting technologies? And, and again, part of the problem is also rhetorically. Once you agree to the Democrat premise and you accept that this is a virtuous goal of carbon capture and emissions cutting things and green energy, oh, albeit we're, we're not going to do it with mandates but you lost the moral high ground. And, and you just look more shysterish about it and you look less enthusiastic about it, the American people are going to go with the real thing. But instead, you explain to the American people, a real energy bill would explain how we're losing our technological edge on appliances 
appliances that are broken and don't work. You talk about the American energy miracle that is saving us from national security problems and how we're crushing it in the global market, not just in production, but in, in, in exporting oil and natural gas. And you point to all the areas where the courts are, are, are just getting involved illegally, illegally mandating Obama's illegal policies that blocked uh, pipelines and blocked uh, permits. Get rid of the stupid ethanol mandate. Get out of our way. That is an energy bill. Instead, it's all this garbage. All this garbage. So there we go. This is what we're at, a green energy bill. This is the point. We need to make it unmistakably clear where we stand on all of the issues troubling the people. That is our job. If we can't do that, then go home. Then go home. And it's the same thing with coronavirus. It's like the White House says $2.5 billion to throw at the record funding at HHS. Schumer asked for eight point five, dollars And now they're going to settle on like seven point five dollars or eight. <laughs> Classic. How about talking about what we did last week, the medical supply chain, on how the mass migration is allowing the Chinese to suck us dry? Stealing our, our intellectual property, taking it back there, and then that's what has caused all the unnatural outsourcing. Not the natural outsourcing, but unnatural. And that's how we now, at a time of crisis, we're caught with no ability to produce vital goods, drugs, drug ingredients here at home. Oh, and by the way, the place where we happen to get it from happens to also be the source country of so many of the recent pandemic outbreaks. Oh, and by the way, that's where we have the most immigration foreign students traveling back and forth from. It's no, it's, it's no coincidence why we have the most deaths outside of Seattle. Seattle is, I mean, you know, a tremendous amount of Chinese travel there. Is anyone going to debate bold colors? How is it you could have hundreds of thousands of Chinese students flying back and forth between the semesters? What are we going to do with that? Remember, when did coronavirus start? Late December, early January. That's precisely when all these foreign students came back from the Chinese New Year, start the new semester here. Did we screen them? Is it even possible to with numbers that high? We need to offer bold, bold contrasts and bold solutions to the problems that confront us. Not just like, hey, I'll have this amount of green energy, but not that amount. You're right, Democrats. I'll have this amount of spending, but not that. I mean, again, if you don't offer a bold alternative, it's just like a slightly modified, less enthusiastic, less emphatic version of what the Democrats are offering. What's the point? What is the point? And look, I understand that because of Bernie Sanders and the fact that he is so unambiguous about what he believes in, he takes away the subtlety, 
they might still be able to win an election like this. I mean, we certainly see that um, Israel held elections last night, and, and a lot of people were commenting that the traditional labor party that kind of built the country politically is down to something like six or seven seats in their parliament. Because, you know, that's the only party that runs unambiguously on the Jeremy Corbyn type of agenda. The, the left-wing party there, the main left-wing opposition to Netanyahu, um, is actually run by this general war hero. And, you know, they, they sell themselves as centrists. So, I mean, you see that we are getting to the point where the left can't win on their own agenda. At least if they're honest about it. But the problem is, what's the point of winning that if it just drags us inexorably to the left? But still allows us to put distance between us and, and, and the next version of what the left wants to do with venture socialism. What's the point? And by the way, it just brings me to one observation I do want to make about the Democrats on Super Tuesday that I think is important. So, you know, theoretically, Joe Biden should be able to win, right? He has all this momentum crushed in South Carolina. Everyone under the sun and within the party is backing him. But you know what's ultimately going to blunt him and why I think Bernie is still going to win? The Hispanic vote, immigration. <laughs> he, he can't win anymore because he's getting crushed in Texas and California. I mean, his goose is cooked. There's nothing he can do. The same way there's nothing conservatives can do to win the mass migration vote well, now they're going to have that problem in the Democrat primary, and there's an interesting dynamic developing that I believe, again, creates a tremendous opportunity if we use it in that, henceforth, I think Democrats will have no way of stopping the overtly alt-left candidate from winning the nomination in the future. They're all alt-left, but you know some are just more open about it than others because, for the most part, most of the Hispanics who do vote Democrat reliably in the primaries, they want that all left agenda. I mean, th that's just the reality when you bring in so many people from countries where they're used to people like Bernie Sanders, that's what they feel comfortable. With. I mean, let's face it, that's what they're voting for. It has nothing to do with immigration and border policy. It's not like Bernie is more notoriously open borders than the other Democrats. If anything, you know, you go a while back and he was a little bit at least somewhat principled on you know standing up for the american worker in his own way and now that's gone out the window but i mean it's no different than any other guy what he is more defined by is his economic worldview at least uh he's more open about it and that's what they want so again this notion from all these republican elites and the jared kushners of the world that somehow you could have mass migration from you know, Latin America, but even from countries like India to the extent that we have it and somehow that that's going to work for us, um, dude, <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous because they're not even willing to vote for like a Joe Biden. You know, much less the so-called Republican. But again, this is the bold, bold contrast we need. Bipartisan Senate Homeland Security Subcommittee report. 10,000 Chinese nationals conducting research in our Department of Energy national labs. And yet, the National Institutes of Health, State Department, do not systematically track visa applicants linked to China's talent recruitment plans. That's, a, that's their espionage program. 
It's called Thousand Talents Plan. Quote, American taxpayer-funded research has contributed to China's global rise over the last 20 years because it allowed China to go from brain drain to brain gain. Could you imagine if we had a United Republican Party with a bold agenda on that, as Josh Hawley is pushing? Could you imagine? I mean, that is a, you want to talk about an issue that everyone understands, how China is sucking us dry, Republican voters, Democrat voters. But yet, we see more and more, oh, we need more and more cheap labor, more, more espionage labor. And again, it doesn't have to be this way. There's guys in the White House that get it, but they're not in power. We need to empower them. You know, just yesterday, Trump um, talked about, Trump put out in a tweet, Congressman Kay Granger has worked hard for Texas and has been a strong supporter of our MAGA agenda. She's strong on 2A and securing our border and is 100% pro-life. See, normally he never sticks that in because every Republican's pro-life on paper, but here he had to stick that in because she's actually not. Kay has my complete and total endorsement. I mean, folks, it doesn't have to be this way. But name me a single person yelling at Trump for doing this. Well, me. But other, other than that, not. So again, I mean, McCarthy and McConnell, they come with their list of endorsements and he just sends out these tweets. I don't know if he does it or Scavino writes it for him or whatever. But this could easily be shut down. Easily. And this is one of the things I want to do with our coalition for forgotten Americans is to focus on some of these candidates and say, hey, wait a minute, Mr. President, don't pull the rug out from your reinforcements. You could Google it. Kay Granger calls on Donald Trump to drop out, okay? I mean, it's a complete joke. But again, it doesn't have to be this way. So we're going to be watching this energy bill. We're going to be watching this coronavirus again look at everything they do it's a hundred percent bipartisan it's a joke for all the acrimony all of the legislation that actually passes that, that that they actually want i mean it's it's bipartisan they agree and not in a good way they're also working on a number of more opioid bills further clamping down on prescriptions funding these ngo parasitic organizations on drug treatment and then meanwhile let out the drug traffickers, harbor sanctuaries uh, that are network uh, harboring the networks for criminal aliens and refuse to designate the cartels as terrorists. Again, one of the most immoral things government is doing. Talk about pale pastels. I meet this every day. Every day I meet people. My cousin just had surgery, had a kidney removed, pretty big surgery. They gave her nothing, gave her Tylenol. She would never overdose. It's a joke. You take the stuff for a week when you have the post-op pain and that's it. These people do not overdose unless unless they're also on heroin and happen to have a surgery too. You do have people like that. They're already abusing drugs, so they'll abuse whatever you give them. But again, these are issues. They're not even right or left. You know, like, look, I mean, I certainly have this and I think a lot of people in this audience were very honed in on um, Republicanism constitutionalism we're into abstract principles but most people are into what practically affects their life and and these are issues man 
pain patients. Boy, is that a constituency. If we had a party saying we are going to right this ship, we're going to deal with the real drug crisis, the cartels, the sanctuary cities, the criminal aliens, the drug traffickers. And we're going to let doctors prescribe, you know, unless they're caught, you know, just being traffickers, but legitimate prescriptions. We're going to let them practice medicine. Boy, the amount of votes you would pick up. Talk about bold colors, no pale pastels. But we need a voice. We need a voice for that. So there's a lot of issues going on. I want to get to um, another issue I'm writing about today. Again, with spending. An issue that was almost never brought up at CPAC. So we're all told, Daniel, we're not into this stuff. We love criminals. We love homosexuals. And uh, we love, uh, we need more immigration. Again, after record high 50 years of unbridled immigration beyond belief, it, it's, it's, it's just the numbers are just shocking. It was shocking already in the 90s when people were warning about this. And now we're, you know, 25, 30 million beyond this. Just in terms of green cards, not including all the, you know, that we have a million Indians, long term visas, the foreign students, the legal immigration. It's never enough for them. But at least we're libertarians. We're Coke funded libertarians. OK, fine. So where the hell is the focus on spending? It's a very important story I'm going to have out today. The Government Accountability Office, GAO, issues an annual report pursuant to a, a law written by Congress in 2002 to document improper payments. Like, you know, obviously, most of what government does in, in the realm of domestic policy is wasteful or is unconstitutional and shouldn't be done at a federal level and is awful, often harmful. But even allowing for these programs, they, they, they're counting the amount of improper payments that they're just not eligible, fraud, waste, whatever. 175 billion throughout the government um, cash flushed down the toilet, a 15% jump from the improper payments of FY 2018. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot relative to everything we spend, but it adds up. Since they've been tracking this in 2003, the total payments are 1.7 trillion in improper payments. So what's funny is all these politicians, both Republicans and Democrats, in order to weasel out of really having a mature discussion over the role of government, whether these programs are worthwhile, whether they're actually um, inflating the cost of living and fueling asset bubbles and fueling inflationary bubbles like with healthcare and education, things like that. They say, no, no, we're going to cut waste, fraud and abuse. That's the big line. But then they don't even cut the waste, fraud, and abuse. So let's have, I mean, you want to have bipartisanship. Why don't we have bipartisanship on this? Look, okay, you want big government, we want smaller government, but could we all agree, GAO is telling us there's $175 billion in improper payments. Could we deal with this? Now, there's a couple of interesting things. 69% came from just three programs. The number one was Medicaid, of course, $57.4 billion in fraudulent payments, Medicare, 46.2 billion, and the earned income tax credit, 17.4 billion. I'm gonna to get to that in a minute. But let's first talk about Medicaid. 
That is 13.5% of the entire program is wasteful payments. And, and, and again, we're not talking about the broad waste. Like, you know, when you have it with Medicare and Medicaid because you're not paying for it and it's all the government funneling through lobbyists an endless flow to manage care, be it the hospital conglomerates, the nursing homes, or the insurance cartel, depending on the program. They, they, I mean, that, that's who manages it. Right again, remember, it's not like food stamps where you're giving it to the people. You're giving it to, I mean, it, it reeks of fraud. So we're not counting the fact that, I'm sure a lot of you have experienced this with Medicare. If you have a, a parent that was, you know, really the end of life care and, and you'll have endless people just coming into that hospital room or hospice or whatever, and you don't know what the heck they're doing. And it's all fraud. That that's not what's being documented here. These are known improper payments. It's even it's much more than that. But that is 13.5 percent of the entire cost of Medicaid, at least at a federal level. 57.4 billion. This is what I've been yelping about for so long. If we had, again, bold colors. I, I have a plan out. I've written before. You could Google it. Daniel Horowitz, um, Medicaid plan that will work. Something like that, that will work for everyone except for lobbyists. If you would take the amount of money we spend on Medicare right now, not cut a penny of it. See, the problem is it's going to go from 500 billion to a trillion very quickly. So at least if we could cap it the way it is now, and rather than funneling it through the cartel for this vicious cycle of lobbying, price inflation, extortion, give it to the people. Just give it to them. If you would take the amount that we spend per person, was it 13,000? I, I did the math there. Per healthy person, per dis disabled person is more. And you just give them as a block grant to the person in a regulated account. Think, think of it like food stamps. If you, if you merely ran Medicaid like food stamps, and then they would be able to go out and buy any mixture of unregulated health insurance, which we should have, or health sharing ministries, DPC, However much they want to, and that will be their choice, how much you want to pay out of pocket, what type of deductible, how much you want for, you know, risk sharing. And you would walk in to a doctor's office, you would have, like anyone else, you, you wouldn't have the stigma, right, that you're a Medicaid patient. Medicaid is crap anyway, that's, that's part of the problem, so many aren't taking it. Do you know how much the price would go down? And then you'd have all those people, what is it, up to 70 billion people or so, uh, 70 million people? In Medicaid, they'd all be in the individual market now. And we would all together purchase insurance. If you can't afford it, we'll provide it for you. We'll give the money to you. The best way to give a handout, ironically, is to give a handout because at least you don't have the market distortion. It's the welfare, but at least you don't have the market distortion. And that's my bold plan on Medicaid. Again, look, ideally, the federal government shouldn't even be involved in that. Yada, yada, I get it, but I'm, I'm trying to see what's achievable. It would be better care for people. It would have a downward trajectory on price inflation for everyone in the market. It would benefit everyone. And then another ancillary benefit is this fraud. Now, you always have fraud endemic with individual welfare, too, but it's not the same. If you look at the food stamp program, I did the math the percentage that improper payments compose of the cost of food stamps is 6%, whereas with Medicaid, it's 13.5%.
which, you know, for obvious reasons. Similar thing with the CHIP program, which is a similar thing. We just take even wealthier people than Medicaid and give it for their children. The Children's uh, Health Insurance Program, 2.7 billion, 15%. That's 15% of the program is improper payments. So that's with that. Now, I want to get back to the refundable tax credits that really pisses me off. If you add up the $17.4 billion improper payments for the earned income tax credit, $7.2 billion improper payments for the additional child tax credit, that's the portion of the child tax credit that's refundable, meaning you're making money. It's more than zeroing out your tax liability, a.k.a. it's welfare. It's a handout. It's not a credit. And $2.1 billion in improper payments for the American Opportunity Tax Credit that was created under the Obama stimulus. If you add all that up, that's $26.7 billion. Folks, the cost of um, how much we spent, according to CBO, that I've tabulated on refundable tax credits is $96 billion. 26.7 is improper. That's 27, 28% of all our payments on refundable tax credits are improper. There's so much fraud in that. I mean, don't we owe it to the forgotten American taxpayer that with 23 trillion in debt, endless trillion dollar annual deficits until the eye could see now, that there would be at least a bipartisan effort to combat this waste? And again, what's so offensive about this is that most of the waste is coming out of programs okay i guess you could say medicare eventually everyone benefits from but but medicaid and and the refundable tax credits com, com, I mean, th these are wealth transfer programs so at least if we're going to steal from one to give to others everyone's like we can't have socialism oh my gosh we can't have bernie dude i got news for you we have plenty of socialism already in our system but at least if we're going to have it and we're going to have programs that taxpayers have to fund but don't benefit from, and they're not universal. We should at least get rid of the improper payments. $175 billion in improper payments annually. Do you know what that is? That's the cost of the entire federal government's pension, meaning civilian and military. You know how huge it is. We always talk about the you know, federal government's uh, pension. Cost about uh, cost literally about 173 billion a year. That's how much money we flush out just in improper payments, and yet we can't find a few billion dollars more for ICE to remove other countries' violent criminals. Imagine if the last half an hour of this show would be embodied through a political movement, a political party. Again, how much of this is is, is even partisan? What I'm talking about. America's oil miracle. Good products and services. Cutting wasteful spending. Getting rid of criminal aliens. Getting tough on crime. Having political decisions decided by political branches and not unaccountable judges. I mean, these are not even conservative things. They're universal. They're owed to all of us. Is it that hard? to raise a banner of no pale pastels but bold colors on these issues. I don't know. Evidently, it is. That's the thing. If you offer people a bold solution, they don't want this. 
And that's why if we have Bernie Sanders and he's potentially a drag down the ballot, don't we want people down the ballot in these Republican primaries that are going to be worthwhile to elect? Who's going to give us this vision in the Senate? And this is a big reason why we need to get on the president. It's like, if you look at the priorities of, of the Congress's random green energy bill, what about a sanctuary bill that the president called for? What about giving Americans the right to sue sanctuary cities like the president called for in the State of the Union address? The problem is in the White House office on um, legislative affairs, it's just, it's just bad. They're not driving the agenda. I understand constitutionally, I get it. Congress writes the legislation, the president just signs or, or, um, or vetoes it. But practically speaking, once we had political parties, if the president's party is in control of one or both bodies of Congress, the, the president usually sets the agenda. That's what Reagan did. That's what Obama did. That, that's just what happens. If the president doesn't set Congress's agenda and demand for McConnell legislation on his campaign priorities, you're going to get the priorities of the swamp. These are just some of the things I want to do networking where we could get all of our listeners together on some sort of a forum, break it down by issue, by state, and work to pressure these members of Congress, drive calls to the White House, get on media, and magnify our voice here. I feel this sense of urgency because I think there's so much we can do that we are able to accomplish. 45 years after Reagan decried pale pastels in the Republican Party, this party is trying to dull the differences between them and the Democrats with a Democrat party that is light years to the left of the Democrats of the 1970s. That's what's so tragic about this. But anyway, we have so much more going on in the courts. There was a good victory today in the Supreme Court. Crazy case where they were saying that, you know, Kansas and other states couldn't clamp down on identity theft of illegals, that somehow that was preempted by federal immigration law. It's funny, whenever they want to thwart with sanctuary policies, federal immigration law, they're like, no, you, you could do that. But if you simply want to help enforce it, oh, no, you're preempted. So luckily, you know, and, and look, I, I want to be fair here. I did write an article when this case was heard in oral arguments that I didn't like what Kavanaugh was saying, and he seemed to be ruling in the wrong way. But again, this is the important caveat that sometimes they do play devil's advocate. So I do want to make clear, even though I was concerned and I wrote I was concerned, I do want to, you know, I don't want to overstate my concerns. I am very concerned with some of these um, picks, including Kavanaugh and sometimes Gorsuch, but in this case, they did get it right. So there's a lot states can do now to clamp down on identity theft. It's something where I, I want to push with some of the governors I know. This was a good ruling today. So there was a, a victory today. Um, obviously, not a good ruling where the Supreme Court left the lower court's uh, ruling in place on the ban of bump stocks. I mean, isn't it interesting how every darn thing Trump wants to do to enforce law and sometimes merely countermand lawless things Obama does and the lower courts say, oh, no, you can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Suddenly, finally, Trump oversteps his boundaries 
and retroactively incorporates bump stocks into machine guns, which violates statute, plus also violates the taking clause of the Constitution, right? Because you're retroactively criminalizing possession of something that is, um, was lawfully bought. It's a, big, it's a big problem. I mean, look, I don't use bump stocks. I don't know too many people do. I know it's not the biggest deal in the scheme of Second Amendment, but still, you know, that is, that is a big problem to retroactively ban something like that and do that administratively. So the one thing the Trump administration does, I mean, then suddenly the courts are like, oh, no, we don't see any problem here. Lower court, appellate court, now Supreme Court. See, a broken clock is usually right twice, but judicial supremacism is never right. We can't even count on it when you actually need it. Criminalizing individual unambiguous rights of American citizens. Suddenly, then we have no recourse in the courts. Illegals, they could sue all they want. So that is the story there. Um, look, it's going to be a big night. Like I said, we're watching this DA race in, in Los Angeles. Um, which is a Democrat primary. But um, while I always say I don't care about Democrat primaries, prosecutors are cut from a different cloth. It's more like Democrat prosecutors are to the right of con so-called conservative justice reformers. Um, so that's a little different. So there's a very important uh, race there. We got the Sessions versus Tuberville Senate race. We got the Granger versus Putnam in Fort Worth Congressional District in Texas couple other congressional districts we're going to watch there north carolina um alabama i'm going to try to update you all i mean i in all honesty i haven't had time to follow all these races but we will give you as much information tomorrow as we can again send me your comments questions concerns if you want to help with this new coalition for forgotten americans um send me your your uh ideas dharowitz at blazemedia.com so tomorrow God bless you all, and thank you so much for listening.